started to notice I was very different from my friends. I, uh, all of the boys around me were really interested in girls, wanted to hang out with them, uh, and I was more interested in them, my friends, uh, trying to understand, wow, what is it about them that is is different from me, but also alluring and attractive, and they're having all these feelings for girls, and I don't have those, so maybe there's something wrong with me. If I'm struggling with this, this weird thing, uh, what's that gonna do to my family? What's that gonna do to my parents if I disappoint them by telling them that I have something like this? And so I kept it hidden, and I decided I would never tell anybody. I don't think that we as human beings thrive in that. I think we thrive when we know our boundaries. Those boundaries provide a sense of safety. And then there's room to explore. There's room to enjoy God and life and others, uh, even ourselves in relationship to others. But those boundaries help protect us. And when they're gone, it's a very frightening place to be. Around kind of my, my junior year, still in pornography. And at this point, I was hitting a breaking point. And I began to engage in relationships online with other men. I was kind of out there seeking, um, found somebody online that I connected with and started a relationship with. Regardless of what we struggle with, again, someone who's never dealt with same-sex attraction or those issues, but um, the, the phrase is same root, different fruit, meaning all of that plays into the, the, the kind of fruit that's born, but so often it's the same, that we share similar root issues. I am not what I struggle with, was I think a key point for me to kind of start to wrap my mind around, okay, if I can kind of divorce who I am from this struggle and realize that it is something I struggle with and not who I am, it is now something that I struggle with, which is something that I can, I can tackle that I can find ways to deal with. Well, hey, thanks so much for tuning in for another episode of the Love and Truth Network podcast. I'm so glad that you're here and joining us. Once again, for those that have been with us the last few episodes, you'll know that we're shooting from the American Association of Christian Counselors Conference. We are here in the uh, uh, Opryland uh, Resort. Uh, what an incredible place. Uh, I've been here several times and every single time I get lost. I mean, it's just an amazing uh, myriad of different uh, beautiful settings and space uh, indoors, but man, it is a huge place. So anyway, we're here to get together, uh, Jeremiah, our team exhibiting here and having lots of great conversations. And a fun thing about this kind of conference is we get to catch up with old friends. You've heard already from some of both my brother, my sister-in-law, who's here mm -hmm. and some other friends that are here and Edward, uh, we had a, a conversation with, but another thing that's fun about these conferences are is meeting new people and making new friends. And so I've just made a new friend while we're here. His name is Cole, and he uh, has some connection. I'll let him tell your own, his own story, but he has some connection with a ministry, a really long-term connection with a ministry uh, that I've loved for a long time and have been connected with the executive director of for a long time, Jason Thompson. And so really happy to have him here with us to share some of his story and then for us just to have some dialogue that hopefully will be of encouragement to you and hope building for you as well. So Cole, thanks so much for joining us for this episode. Hey, thanks for having me. This is great. What a pleasant surprise. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of fun. Yeah. So um, 
what what is it in terms of your story? Mm-hmm. What are you comfortable kind of sharing with us about a, a bit of your journey? I know it's hard to yeah. to take a, a lifetime of uh, of stuff yeah. uh, and and condense it into ten or fifteen minutes, but you know, just share some of your story with us. I'll give it my best shot. All right. Yeah. But so yes, part of the reason probably you and I are having this conversation, the biggest piece of it is I grew up struggling with same-sex attraction. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll start at the beginning and kind of work my way through. But yep. um, bo- so I was born, raised into a Christian family. Mm-hmm. I had great Christian believers mm-hmm. when grew up going to church, um, all of those good things. I've got an older sister and a younger brother that were great companions through life. Yep. Uh, but really found early on in my life that I did not connect very well with men. Mm. Um, I was a little bit emotionally distanced from my father. My brother and I didn't quite get along very much, but I had really loving women in my life yes. that grew, doted on me, that really cared for me. I was a very emotional companion for a, a lot of the women that I was around. Mm-hmm. Um, and through that journey, just kind of later in life, probably around middle school, when I started to develop some sort of sexual identity, you know, as a kid, don't really understand what any of that means. Um, But at some point around puberty, starting to develop, what is sexuality? What is this? Started to notice I was very different from my friends. Mm -hmm. uh, All of the boys around me were really interested in girls, wanted to hang out with them. uh, And I was more interested in them, my friends, Right. uh, trying to understand, wow, what is it about them that is is different from me, but also alluring and attractive. And they're having all these feelings for girls and I don't have those. So maybe there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Um, just as time wore on, kind of beginning to understand what that meant in my life, what this kind of difference in sexual mm. attraction as it was growing through puberty and through into high school, uh, what, what does this mean? What does this look like for me? Right. And uh, I very remember vividly in freshman year of high school, it kind of sunk in. It was this moment of, oh, I'm very different. This is not changing. I think I'm gay. Mm. I'm having these thoughts and attractions that nobody else is having. Mm. Nobody's talking about them. I think I'm the only one. And a big part of kind of what that did to me was it sunk me into a huge depression. Mm. I kind of felt like my future had been pulled out from under me or that there was no future for me. Part of my childhood, I'd grown up kind of the golden child of the family, the one that tried to keep the family apart as, you know, brother and sister did this and that. Um, I felt like a lot of the family's honor or dignity kind of rested on me as Mm -hmm. a child. And uh, so that was really crushing to say, if I'm struggling with this, this weird thing, uh, what's that going to do to my family? Mm -hmm. What's it going to do to my parents if I disappoint them Mm -hmm. by telling them that I have something like this? Yeah. And so I kept it hidden and I decided I would never tell anybody. Um, But I also felt like that stripped me of a future of things that I did want. I'd always pictured myself, you know, the normal kid growing up, getting married, having kids eventually Mm -hmm. of my own um, and uh, just being a normal person. And it felt like I couldn't be that anymore. Mm. So depression for a long time. uh, And eventually... Through some help, I, my parents took me to counseling. They were wonderful through the whole process. Yeah, uh, was able to kind of pull myself out of the depression, and decided I'm just never going to talk about this again. I'll sweep it under the rug, pretend like it doesn't exist, and I'll try and move on with my life as best as I can. And so that came out in the counseling office. I mean, it did. It, it came up there. Kind of okay. yes. Well, 
Yes and no. So right. I was I was probably a terrible counselee. Mm-hmm. I never actually spoke about it in the counseling. I was too scared to tell yes. a soul, even somebody that wasn't my family members. Right. I couldn't bring myself to talk about my sexual attractions. Mm-hmm. I was so confused by them. I didn't understand them. I didn't want them. Yep. Uh, and they scared me. Yep. And and to speak it out loud would to make it true and would to mean that this was a reality that I had to deal with. Yes. And so I would rather pretend yeah. that it wasn't. Suppress it and just suppress mm-hmm. it. And I would, you know, tell my parents I'm sad because of all these other things. Yeah. And because of friends or because uh I just don't feel like I fit in. You name it. I found ways to kind of talk mm-hmm. around it. So never even spoke it to a counselor. Um, but in that process, uh, I think just kind of solidified this idea that I could tamper it down and I could keep it under control and it would never arise again. Yep. And that's how I would move forward. Um, so the counsel, not necessarily in the counseling, but through the counseling and having people talk at me mm-hmm. and, and having to think about what I'm going to say to these people uh, was kind of how I came to that conclusion of I'm not going to talk about okay. it. So in that way, counseling was a part of it. But. Okay. Yeah. And, and about how old were you, do you think, when you just decided, I'm just, yeah. uh, just sealed the deal even deeper, I'm just not going to talk about this? Yeah, that that was around junior year of high okay. school. All so right. freshman year, big realization, big yep. depression, for about a year and a half, mm-hmm. uh, just absolutely, you know, despondence mm-hmm. <laughs> through my whole life. I used to say, I tried to will myself into non-existence. Yes. I, I yes. wasn't suicidal necessarily, right. borderline, but just didn't want to be around mm-hmm. anymore. Um but then, yeah, through that time, about junior year, going into senior year, I was like burying it. We're moving on. I'm going to just try and enjoy life however I can. Yep. Uh, yep. And and so. Okay. But that doesn't last very long. No. You can't do that. You can't with, with uh, all of these emotions and all of these, this part of our sexual identity. It's not something that you can push aside or right. temper. It's always going to come back up. Mm-hmm. So uh, college was kind of the next big moment in my journey with sexual identity, with sexual um, understanding and, and sexual feelings. Uh, first time out on my own. Yeah. I, I went to college away from town, uh, away from my parents, away from home. Uh, and there's just unprecedented freedom. And the first thing I did was get addicted to pornography. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I had really encountered it or got to engage with it. And it was like this, it just consumed me yeah. at that time. And I was still very much a Christian, mm-hmm. very much Still going to church all throughout high school. I tried to do youth group, went to conferences, mm-hmm. very much loved Jesus. Uh, but now I had this other big sin thing in my life that I couldn't ignore. Mm-hmm. Thought I could ignore my sexuality, and now I'm dealing with pornography. And that's when the real kind of pull and tension started to become too much. Yep. yep. Um, so faith. So not much with- pornography before then. No. Okay. No, I didn't. I I didn't have access to it. I had I had tried a couple of times. Yep. Um, and, and so funny, I forget this event, but I'd even been caught by my parents at one point. Okay. And I remember my dad having a conversation with me being like, what is this? What's going on? Mm -hmm. And I took all my energy to convince him that that wasn't a permanent thing. Yeah. This is not me. It's just a phase Mm -hmm. using all kinds of language. Um, and whether he bought it, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I should, I should ask him of like, was that convincing when I tried to do that years ago? But, um, he let it, he let it be and never spoke about it again. Mm -hmm. Um, whether he was trusting me that it was just a phase or just to know how to connect with it. Either way, I, I, I couldn't blame him too much, but yeah. So uh, up until that point, never really experienced pornography, knew it existed Mm -hmm. and knew it was something that I probably wanted to get into, but never had the opportunity until college. 
Um, yeah, and then it just became overwhelming. It, it was quick addiction, mm-hmm. and as as often as I could, and uh, that was just a new level of sin and struggle that I had never really done before. Right. I've always been a really good kid. Yeah, paid all the rules, did all the good things, went to church. And now I was dealing with something new, yes. something really intense. And something that quickly took a hold of you. Yeah. 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 It was it was strange to be consumed by something that you think you're in control yeah. always of your life. And then the realization when you're not can be very yes. scary. Yes. That didn't come to a little bit later, but um, it really was a weird and wild twisted journey there mm-hmm. at the beginning. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, spent the first couple of years in college, um, really just kind of trying to be as normal as I could. Uh, whatever that means at the time, just engage with normal college activities, be a regular person, dealing with pornography on the side, trying to go to church when I could, when my spirit would allow me to. There were times where I felt so guilty and oh, so yeah. shameful, yep. couldn't even step into church. Yep. Um, but uh, I but tried as best I could, mm-hmm. and so for about two years, really kind of struggled back and forth with this, back and forth, back yes. and forth, um, being pulled in two different directions. And about my junior year. I like to say I did two junior years. I was in college for five years. Yeah, right, uh, right. <laughs> fifth year senior. Mm-hmm. Um, but around kind of my my junior year, I, I hit a breaking point. I had gone abroad and did a study abroad, which was unbelievable and really fun, but come back to an even stronger addiction mm-hmm. of pornography and a stronger feeling of loss of community. I had no people, no friends when I moved back yep. and was and couldn't bring myself to go to church anymore. So still in pornography. And at this point, I was hitting a breaking point and I began to engage in relationships online with other men. I was yep. kind of out there seeking, um, found somebody online that I connected with and mm-hmm. started a relationship mm-hmm. with. Um, and I'll, I'll I'll jump ahead in this. Sure. But one thing that always struck out to me later on in life when I was reflecting on this is that relationship with him never turned sexual. And I didn't want it to. Okay. Which was very strange to me, yeah. even during that time of like, I thought that's what I was after. I thought that's what I wanted. Uh, but l- later during my reflection time on it, uh, after I'd kind of gotten some healing, um, was I just wanted somebody to know me and yeah. like me. Yes. I want to know me and love me and to say, this person knows exactly what I'm going through. I would told them I'm I'm gay. I have these struggles. Mm-hmm. Or I didn't use the word struggles, but uh, I have these feelings. And he said, great. That's super cool. Me too. Mm-hmm. And was interested in me. And to have that combination was a powerful thing. But never cross sexual boundary lines. Never cross sexual okay. boundary lines. Wow. And I remember even in the in that relationship thinking, that's what you want to do, mm-hmm. right? And and something in me was like, no, 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 don't ruin this. Right. Don't right. Don't you don't want to go there. So I I think that's just a spirit thing. I yeah. really see God's hand protecting me from engaging in behaviors that would I would have to unravel later on. And right. so I'm thankful right. for that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but uh, during this time, uh, this is when my breakup with Jesus happened. Mm-hmm. I came to a point where I, I had found somebody that could accept me and love me. And I was I couldn't reconcile my same-sex attraction and Christianity. So I, I came before God and I said, hey, one of you has got to go. Right. These two things don't mix. Yep. And my attractions aren't going anywhere. So Jesus, and you're you, not changing them. I'm not changing. Them. I, I have no idea. I mean, God's not changing them either. Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Saying yeah, to God, yeah. I'm like, you're not doing anything about this. I've asked. I've prayed. I've yep. pleaded. I you. I obviously don't want this, Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of you's got to go. You can't right. live together, and I can't change the attraction. So it's got to be you, yep. Jesus. You got to go. And it was my my breakup moment with Jesus. Yeah. And I very clearly remember him saying, "You're going to be back. 
I'll let you go, but you're going to be back. Mm. And I hated that. I said, wow. you don't know that, Lord. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah that came to bite. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's like, well, yeah, I do. Um, but, but after that, spent a lot of time trying to de-Christianize myself. I tried to really walk away from Jesus, push anything that I knew that was kind of attaching me to any sort of holiness or good person isk. Yep. And I just wanted to live my life in whatever way I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And it was miserable. Yes. It was so miserable. I had no framework, no structure for my soul. It I was completely empty. So yep. every little inconvenience, every little uh, hardship in my life, I, I would just collapse into mm -hmm. this messy pile of depression and woe is me. Yep. Um, there was nothing to rely on. And so I just remember it being an awful time. Well, and part of that too, yeah. I wonder, I don't want to, I don't want to get you off track from your no, story, please. but part of it I, that I've realized is we actually thrive when we have boundaries, not, oh, not yeah. walls that are so constricting, which right. sometimes our Christian religious background is sometimes that way. Like all we know right. are the do's and don'ts mm -hmm. and it's so constricting and it's so limited, but to also be in a, in a space where there are absolutely no boundaries, there's no fence. It's just this wide open space. I don't think that we as human beings thrive in that. I think we thrive no. when we know our boundaries, those boundaries provide a sense of safety. Yeah. And then there's room to explore. There's room to enjoy God and life and others, uh, even ourselves in relationship to others, but those boundaries help protect us. And when they're gone, it's a very frightening place to be. Oh, absolutely. And and I had never even heard of boundaries until much later when yep. I started going through like Portland Fellowship and understanding how good and beneficial they were. Mm -hmm. But to me, a lot of that, but like you said before, were just walls. They were yep. just things to keep me in yep. and, uh, and to control me. And to, but uh, I think one of the things that, I often think about is when I lowered those boundaries, you're also letting a lot of things in mm -hmm. um, and a lot of, there's no protection from bad things. Yes. And so there it's, it, it was exciting at first. I remember being like, mm -hmm. Oh, I'm, I'm finally free. Yes. I don't, I don't have anything weighing me down. I can live how I want to, but the stuff that came into my life uh, was, was horrifying yeah. and, and terrible. And uh, there's nothing to protect you if you don't mm -hmm. have any boundaries. So it, it that freedom to have within good boundaries and well-established boundaries and boundaries of love uh, are extremely important yes. in all of our lives. So. No, absolutely, absolutely. What, um, where, where did your shift begin to happen? Mm -hmm. um, where, like you were, you didn't say deconstruct, you weren't working to deconstruct your faith. Mm -hmm. Maybe there was a little bit of that, but, yeah. but you, um, where did you kind of begin to re-engage with Jesus again, with, uh, with, the father again. Yeah. Oh, this, this is my favorite part. And I'll probably cry. Okay. I always do. do. It's, it's fine. <laughs> it is probably, it's probably my fondest memory uh, that I will last forever. But mm. um, there was two kind of incidences that really turned the tables back to Jesus for me. Uh, one of them was the, the guy I was in a relationship with online asked me, he says, does anybody else know that you're, that you're gay? Does anybody else know you have these feelings? I said, no, I can't tell anybody. Mm -hmm. It's very scary. And he said, you have got to tell someone or you're going to die this is going to kill you. You have to tell someone. Mm. And he was like, how's your relationship with your parents? And and I had a re good relationship with my parents. Yep. I really loved them. And he's like, you should tell them. And and he was the one that actually wow. encouraged me. I know. Yep. It's kind of one of those, it was so strange. The, the One of the persons who's leading me into sin, yes. God used as a voice. Yep. It's kind of like um, Balaam's donkey mm -hmm. sort of deal. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. He can use anything to bring, mm -hmm. bring his word to his people. And so, uh, I, I gathered up the courage with, uh, to tell my parents. I came home from college one day and 
I had this whole long kind of speech mm. written out. I'm going to tell them I've got these weird feelings I don't know what to do with, and I'm hopeful they'll go away. Just kind of trying to give them something to hold on right. to while telling them what I'm really feeling. And I remember getting I'm halfway through and just bawling. I couldn't even finish what yep. I was trying to say. It was miserable. Um, but I got the I got it out there. I got mm-hmm. what I wanted to say out there to them. And at the time, I was sitting on the floor on the couch over here. And as soon as I finished, they just kind of mm. leapt off the couch and and just smothered me yep. in hugs and were like, "We love you. We're so sorry that mm. you're dealing with this." Um, I, I can't believe you had to go through this all on your own. We love you. We love you. We're sorry. And it was just unbelievable to be, to again, be known and loved. Yes. That again, what I was chasing this whole time and, and the expression of love that they'd given me was so overwhelming in the midst of my despair. Um, so known in your brokenness and loved, not just known in all the good places. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And I, I had always, again, that kind of golden child felt like the only part of me that could be loved was the good stuff. Yes. Um, and that's not necessarily their fault or my fault. It's just how it was yeah. for me as a kid. And so to really reveal the grossest mm-hmm. part of me, the part that I wanted to keep hidden the most, the shameful part. Yep. And they said, we'd love you mm-hmm. through this was unbelievable. Yeah. And this will be a repeated phrase, but I thought if my parents can love me through this, they can love me through anything. Mm-hmm. They can love me from what I just came from. They can love me through anything. Yes. And, and, they, and they showed that to me. And so... They were like, how do we get involved? How do we help? And I was like, I don't know. I have no idea. I just need somebody to know. And they said, great, we're here for you. Let us mm-hmm. know. We'd love to talk whenever. But they kind of let me lead from then on out. And that was really special, but I never brought it up again for a long um, time. Okay. And they they were okay with that. They let that, hunt. they would check in every once in a while and mixing, yep. but I wasn't ready to discuss it. Because now I'm thinking, oh, my whole world has been turned upside down. Maybe... Christian and good people can love me through this. Maybe Jesus can. Who knows? Yeah. After trying to get rid of right. Jesus, now he's starting to come back in the picture. Yes. And, th- yes. and that's more, con- now I'm confused again. Uh, but the second big thing was my brother had uh, had a radical kind of conversion experience. Mm. I'd grown up really trying to pour into him as a Christian, trying to get him to do things like go to youth group, trying to be a brotherly. Yeah. I was a terrible brotherly figure. Mm. I was just another parent to him, but it was my way of trying to make Kent a better person right. make him a Christian his yep. whole life. And he's the, he's younger. He's younger yep. than me. Yep. Um, uh, and through some circumstances, he ended up at a, a Christian school in Montana um, and had kind of this radical conversion experience. Mm. And he called me one day and he's like, Cole, I just found Jesus. Mm. And this is, he's so wonderful. And a lot of the call was him apologizing for the way that he had treated me through mm. our childhood. We had met, we had collided a lot and I wasn't great either, but here he was just pouring his mm. heart out, being so repentant to me yep. and telling me about his new relationship with Jesus. And I thought, wow, I have always wanted to do this with my brother. Mm-hmm. I would, I would still like to do that, but if my brother can do this, um, then maybe I can change too. And I can do this with him. Mm-hmm. And so I remember thinking about that for a while and I said, okay, I'm going to do it. I got on my knees and and I'm virtually, or I mean, I'm before the throne of God on my knees and in my knees in my mind. And I'm, I'm kind of crawling before Jesus. And I'm like, I, I'm so sorry, mm-hmm. Jesus. I apologize. I was so awful to you. If you'll have me back, right. you know, I'd like to come back. I'd like to try this again. And the thing he said, he goes, I don't care. I'm just mm-hmm. glad you're home. Mm-hmm. And that feeling was the same that I'd gotten from my parents. Yes. 
And it was then I knew if Jesus could love me for what I put him through the last mm-hmm. couple of years, um, he could love me through anything. Yeah. And so that changed the game for me. And I said, I'm, I'm in, yep. I'm in no matter what, I'm going to follow you. That didn't make it any easier. I still was struggling heavily with pornography, yep. with same-sex attraction. It was still just as confusing, but I knew that I was going to do it with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, got involved with a Christian ministry and kind of got plugged back into the brotherhood and the church, got some hope through that yep. of like, okay, maybe if I struggle with this, I can still just be a good Christian. And again, I'll kind of put it on the side, mm-hmm. but I, I can still engage in the church and and do that well and feel like Jesus wants me there. Yeah. Um, so it's almost, in, its, in one sense, kind of like a 2.0 of what you grew up with in a, in a way. Yeah. I mean, a little bit improved, but not fully walking in freedom necessarily, right? Not exactly. integrated. Yes. Yeah. Not at all. I, I, I felt like I was kind of still back at square one. Yeah. But the major change was that I, I knew Jesus was going to be with me yeah. and I could I could move forward with him, yep. but I didn't know how. Mm-hmm. And and that was, you know, almost just as tough as it was before. Because mm-hmm. now I'm like, okay, Jesus, I know you want me, but what right. do I do with this? Yes. They still don't really mix in my mind. I don't right. know how these things come together. Um, and so uh, at one point, about a year before I graduated, my parents had reached out and said, hey, we found this resource. It's in Portland, Oregon, mm. which I've never been to. Um, we think it would be really great for you. And I said, okay, let me graduate and then I'll check it out. Finished school, um, worked at a Christian youth camp for that summer. And the day the camp ended was the day that Portland Fellowship started in Portland. And so I drove out to Portland with just a duffel bag full of clothes and a a couch to stay on for the night. And that was it. Um, And that is when everything changed. Wow. I mean... That was that was the beginning of so much of a journey. Um, scary moment walking through the doors. You know, it's that first moment of if I go in there, everybody's going to know what I struggle yep. with. Yep. The only people I told up until now were just my parents. Mm-hmm. Nobody in the world knew. Uh, so by going in there, I'm admitting something. Yep. Um, I'm admitting that I have this, I struggle with this, and that I need help. Yep. And those are hard things to admit to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just especially me- when you've been spending your whole life mitigating or or suppressing them, right? Oh, yeah, you, yes. you've learned to be invested in that and in, in that golden boy image, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and spent so much of my life trying to hide myself and yeah. cater my image to other people that that's all I knew how to do. I didn't know how to be authentic. Right. I'd barely ever done it before mm-hmm. in my life, but I knew how to curate an image yes. for people and control what they thought of me. Yeah. Um, but I knew I couldn't do that in here. And I know I didn't want to, but it's still scary to let go of how you've been operating your whole life. Yep. Yeah. Even it, if it's yep. bad. It's hard. That's what you know. And, exactly. And well, I'm particularly thinking um, for, for people listening or watching us yeah. right now in this podcast, there's so many. I mean, I think it's, it is such a, so Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing to do is go grab fig leaves and sew them together. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's part of our fallenness. It's part of sin in us that wants to mitigate the truth of our sinfulness and also um, in some ways manage it, image manage, whatever. Oh, and yeah. um, and so for people listening, watching and hearing yeah. what you're talking about, mm-hmm. I mean, it, I, we really want them to be considering how are you, even if even if their their life might look like your life or my life in terms of you know living in a way that that was um, so contrary to scripture and mm-hmm. and also you know sexually broken, yeah. um, but maybe not. Maybe they're listening and and they are maybe listening on behalf of somebody else, like a mom or a dad of somebody who's struggling or whatever. Totally. But the truth is, every single person listening to us 
Um, whether you're listening for yourself or you think you're listening for somebody else, there's something yeah. in this for you. There's something um, that in this conversation, I think yes. that what you just talked about is something that's so common for every one of us to wrestle with, to, yeah. to hedge our bets, to not let anybody in that close. But what you're talking about is really kind of, you know, taking off the whole facade mm -hmm. and just learning to live in a way that's authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's so fun to kind of be a, a part of this ministry now. And, and I get to kind of walk through life and disciple other people who don't struggle with this and yep. to hear them say all these things that I was feeling. And I was yep. like, I was so alone. And mm -hmm. well, no, so many of us struggle with the same type of thing. Yes. It just may look different. Right. Um, and that's not to minimize, you know, the particular struggle that people struggle with, sure. whether it's same sex attraction or other sexual brokenness, they're all going to be unique and, and need their attention their own way. Right. But there's such a common ground. Yeah between people that we're really not alone. Well, we used to say a lot, um, I, or I've heard said quite often, and I I picked up on it and I repeat it because it, it was such a, it was it gave me some hope and it also mm -hmm. really resonated with me yeah. that regardless of what we struggle with, again, someone who's never dealt with same-sex attraction or those issues, mm -hmm. but um, the the phrase is same root, different fruit, meaning <laughs> that it, it might look entirely different for a guy, for a woman who's never been anything but opposite sex attracted. Um, it, even somebody who's maybe experiencing asexuality and feels like I don't re relate to people at all in one sense, but the, there are so many things that feed into that that root level of brokenness. Mm -hmm. But the the way that it works itself out in our lives, the way that we um, uh, perceive it, and the way mm -hmm. that we relate to people around us and those circumstances, all of that plays into the the the, the kind of fruit that's born. Mm -hmm. But so often it's the same that we share similar root issues. Yeah. It, it's a, it, that was really freeing too, as somebody who struggled with something I thought was is super specific, but so different than yes. everybody else's. There really is an encouragement to, as I, as I got better and got more healthy and connected with my other brothers who didn't struggle with any of this, mm -hmm. but to hear them say uh, the same struggles, I was like, oh, wow, we really are a brotherhood, regardless of what you're struggling yes. with. And uh, it, you can tell your story and it can be received really well. Yes. Uh, even from somebody who doesn't experience what you are. Right. So it, it, even as an encouragement, maybe to those who are listening, of just saying like, you never know what's going to happen when you're honest and vulnerable. Right. And it can be so good. Mm -hmm. And you might not be as alone as you thought. And you might be able to get help from somebody who maybe doesn't even struggle with the same thing. Right. So yeah. I know I know for me, I always felt like the only people I could tell was somebody, if somebody else told me first that they struggle with same-sex right. attraction. Because right. then I was like, I can trust them. They know what I'm feeling. Um, and I, I, I think that's good and wise and we need to have that. But also, I encourage you to share with somebody that Absolutely. you just know is trusted and holy and, and a godly person yep. um, because they may understand a lot of what's going on. Not exactly, yes. but that understanding can be very much there. Yeah, I very much, I was in the exact same uh, boat feeling like it. the only people I'll trust are those who have um, had the same feelings, been mm -hmm. in a similar situation. And yet what God, and, and, and that was good for a season. Yeah. And and I still love connecting with uh, new folks like you, new guys yeah. like you that I get, there's so, there's, every one of our stories is unique from one another mm -hmm. uh, in, in a very real sense. But there's another sense in which there are common themes mm -hmm. that we've experienced. That's like, oh, wow, I, that, that's a part of my story. That's a piece of my story. But what I needed desperately at some point in my life in part of my maturation process as a man was to be with other men who didn't struggle with the same things. I think totally. I would have stayed in my boyhood yeah. uh, you know, if I'd only allowed myself to be surrounded by other guys dealing with the same stuff. Uh, absolutely. That was huge. That was one of the core 
uh, elements in my growing process and my maturation process and in my healing process was mm -hmm. connecting with other men who didn't struggle with yep. this. Yep. And that's something that we do talk about Portland Fellowship a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a two-year program. And so people come through the program for quite a long time. Yeah. And we don't, we never want to rush it. That, exactly. It's so, like you're saying, it's so good to have a core group of like, these are my people that know exactly what I'm going through that can mm -hmm. speak directly to it, that are experiencing what I'm experiencing. But we always want to push beyond that. And specifically with same-sex attraction, yep. one of the most healing things you can do is feel welcomed into a group of men yep. that don't struggle Absolutely. with this. And so we, we love to kind of push and encourage people and, and grow them mm -hmm. in that direction. And it's one of the scariest things. Yeah. Uh, being vulnerable with men who don't, who aren't going to get it maybe, or at least at the level that you think that they are. Yeah. And those can be true experiences we've all had. I remember in college, I wanted to tell people when it, kind of after my come back to Jesus moment mm -hmm. and engaging with um, this Christian organization, I really wanted to tell these guys. They were really kind and loving and we got to be really good friends. Um, but there was one moment where they were, one of the leaders was talking about going through Every Man's Battle, I think is the book. That, mm -hmm. that kind of yes. common that just about every, you know, Christian youth goes yes, through at yes. some point. He's like, yeah, we're going to go through this book and we're getting to the last chapter, but we're not going to do the last chapter. And I said, what's the last chapter? And he's like, oh, it's on homosexuality yeah. and people who struggle with that because that's just too weird. So we're not going to do it. Ugh. And right there, yes. I was totally shut down. I said, okay, I can't tell them. Yes. I can't trust oh, them. That's so heartbreaking. Right. And yep. and I'm sure they would have loved me dearly yes. if yes. I had told them. Yes. But it was just small moments like that where you feel like, okay, I can't. Right. The, I, I don't have any experience. Nobody has made themselves available to talk to because of comments like these. Yes. yes. And, uh, and so there is a real fear of opening up again to people like that who right. don't understand because you might get rejected. You might, you're going to be weird now. Right. According right. to this one guy who said it yep. years ago in, yep. in college. Yeah. And even if, right. And even if they, even if they, um, sort of receive the news in mm -hmm. a, in a, in a way where they still love me, care about me or whatever, that feeling of, but I'm still going to be in their mind, that guy, you know, even that alone yes. can be something that tips the scales and the enemy uses in our life and our flesh kind of reinforces it. Like, I'm just not going to open up and share. So, mm -hmm. um, anyway, I, I just, I love your story. I love what you're, um, all that you're talking about. I think it's such yeah. a common struggle and, and what's ironic, it, it funny and in, in one sense is that, um, I mean, I've sat in a number of men's groups now, probably you have too, where guys dealing with porn addiction or porn issues still many times feel like, even if they sort of know, it, it, they, they simply know by virtue of, you know, common sense will tell you mm -hmm. that porno pornography is prolific. It's everywhere. It's a thing that guys deal with, struggle with. It's it's going to be a temptation. And yet they can still feel so alone in it. They refuse yeah. to open up and talk in a men's group for crying out loud yeah. <laughs> about heterosexual porn struggles or right. lust or those kinds of things. It's like, we'll talk about everything else, but we ain't talking about that. I mean, have you found yeah. that to be true in some of your circles too? Very much so. Um, I feel like I'm particularly blessed in in, in the group that I'm in now, in the church I'm at now, and um, even just being so involved with Portland Fellowship, it's it's become less of a hidden thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that we've just got a really good group of guys and people that I'm around that can that can be very vulnerable. Yes. But up until that moment, it was always this kind of, you know, I know, but we're not going to talk about it. It's right. just too weird. I, it's too shameful. It's I'm, sort of the don't ask, don't tell in the church, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Right. Which is sad because that's it's such a powerful force in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and 
telling people and opening up and being vulnerable is such the counter force to that. It's so healing, but we don't want to engage in it. And there's no healing apart from it. I mean, when James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you might be healed, the prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much or woman, uh, you know, that alone, I'm I'm spouting that verse all the time, (laughs) uh, but there's plenty of others too that reinforce that. But the idea, this idea that we are going to find healing just literally, if people would stop and pause, how many years, how many months, how many years, sometimes how many decades have we been trying to work it out between us and God, us and God, us mm-hmm. and God. We confess, we confess. We don't, we we know we've been forgiven maybe, mm-hmm. but we don't necessarily feel forgiven. We are forgiven. But the thing is, healing doesn't come just from confession of Jesus, according to James 5, 16. Healing comes about through confession to one another and then praying for each other. So, yeah. um, you know, that that is, that it's like God gives that prescription. And if we're going to take every other prescription under the sun, yeah. we're not going to have the same results of, of healing. Exactly. So it, it's it's critical that we do this God's way, you know? So he wrote the book on it. Yeah, I mean, right. So for, he's doing. for anyone listening to us, watching us, I, yeah. I you know, it, um, for anyone that's, that's waffling or recognizes, yeah, I've lived in this place for quite a while, or even stands on the, I think many of us uh, feel justified in our, um, in our isolation. And again, we can be isolated in a crowd. Some of the most gregarious, funny, you know, life of the party people are unbelievably lonely and isolated actually internally, right? So we can, uh, some of those people who are so isolated may feel that they're justified for that isolation because of things that have happened to them. Mm -hmm. And, and, And yes, there's things to be unpacked there trauma, abuse, a variety of things, uh, maybe multiple forms of rejection. I, I felt very much in my, in my church life at school, I was a source of a, uh, a lot of bullying, uh, in school and, um, and, and even in church, it wasn't so much bullying in church. It was just kind mm-hmm. of an ostracization. It was this kind of pushing away. And yeah. so this feeling of being pushed out of the world of men and boys, but in, and I justified a lot of my judgments of, of men in general in this yeah. rejection of my own, uh, just of masculinity in general, which then opened up in, you mentioned this too, this, this um, always being around girls, always, you know, mm-hmm. finding my relational connection with my mom, my sister, girls at church, girls at school. Yeah. And so the um, feeling that men in general were totally unsafe, but finally coming to a place of recognizing now, and I was in my mid thirties, you know, really early thirties to mid thirties uh, beginning to recognize, wait a minute, I'm, I've just, pass judgment on, you know, basically half the population <laughs> yeah. and, and pass judgment on, uh, pass judgment on men made in the image of God. Yes, mm-hmm. it's a fallen expression of God's image, but it's still God's image. And, and have judged women to be better, basically the feminine to be safer. Mm-hmm. And, and so fearfully though, having to step out and, and recognize if, if I want genuine healing, mm-hmm. as opposed to just the appearance of that healing, then I have to be willing to press into these places where I'm scared to death. And that's why I need courage. Yes. Right? Oh, yeah. I'm, and it's it's so important to have a community or a group that you can fall back on to help encourage you to do that yes. and kind of keep you accountable to do that. Um, because doing it on your own can be extremely scary. Right. And, you know, there's this uh, man mentality, buck up and do it and just have courage and be brave. And for those of us who struggle a lot with like masculine and right. masculine identity, we're like, I don't have any of those right. things. That's why I'm struggling with exactly. this. You know? Exactly. So I can't just go and do it myself or I can't just be brave and do it. Yep. Um, and I think that's where community groups and communities where you can get them can be so helpful and yes. so important. And this is going to be my, uh, this would be my word to communities 
I guess, um, or just people. Uh, you don't. You may never know who's struggling with what in your group, right? Um, uh, or who's going through this. But we talk a lot about the gift of going second mm. at Portland Fellowship, and what I mean by that is being vulnerable first. Yes. Uh, being vulnerable and laying it out on the table. Yes. And being the one who breaks the ice and says, I'm struggling with this. I'm dealing with Giving this. Giving a gift to the next person. Yeah. yeah. And the, and it's so much easier for somebody after that to yes. say, okay, that door's open. I didn't right. know we could go there or this is so great. I can find, they're confessing to something. Uh, I remember so much in, in the time of when I started telling, kind of telling friends of what I was going through. Hey, I struggle with same-sex attraction. Yep. Uh, friends would instantly respond with like, well, this is the worst thing I've ever done. Or, <laughs> yes, or yes. I struggle with right. this. And I was like, oh, okay. Right. I, I wasn't ready for that. I was so ready to kind of tell you my yes. story. But the freedom that they felt in that moment yes. after me confessing something and me so disclosing true. something uh, was super cool to see. Yep. I really, really liked that. But yep. you can create those groups and those spaces that then encourage other people to go forth and press into the yep. scary areas by being vulnerable first. Absolutely. And uh, yeah. Well, I, I love you saying that. I was thinking even before you mentioned that the value of, um, you know, so, so many guys, so many men who've never dealt with same-sex attraction, mm -hmm. any of those issues, I, I, I find that so many of them um, kind of live in this caricature mm. of, of what courage looks like, strength and courage, uh, looks like isolation or strength and courage looks like um, kind of having it all together and 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 not being vulnerable and that's actually cowardice. I mean that that actually this this need to not let anybody in, this need to let not let anyone see your weaknesses, the softer parts of who we are, kind of cutting off those softer parts altogether. That's actually doing damage to the individual. And I think there are so many Christian men, again, ones that have, I'm thinking of ones that have not dealt with same-sex attraction or anything right. in the LGBT world, but if they could only know that you don't have to have a PhD in human sexuality to be a powerful force for good, a powerful redemptive force, a spiritual father, a spiritual older brother in the in the not the elder brother in the prodigal story, yeah. but rather a true beneficial older brother. Mm -hmm. it, um, that so often what's needed is to have a heart of compassion toward the toward the guy or the woman. Uh, to the brother or sister who's really wrestling and struggling um, and and feels isolated, is fearful, feels like we're, we're not going to be understood by the greater population. Man, one guy or one woman yeah. coming alongside and saying, you know what, mm -hmm. I, I see you and and I want to I want to be in your life. I care about you. Um, maybe they don't even know. Maybe we've not even confessed yet. But for them to say, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, um, I want to walk with you in that. I want to be a brother yeah. to you. So powerful. It really, yeah. It, it, you can't underestimate, I think, what happens in that moment. Somebody's yeah. commitment to you and this desire to say, I, I'm here for you. I just want to be your brother in Christ. I love you and I will walk with you through whatever it is. Yep. You can really say anything and, and building that bond of trust, um, is wonderful. I, at Portland Fellowship, we have prayer partners that are mystery people out there in the world. And occasionally I meet them at conferences yeah. or run into them or for whatever reason. And the the thought that a total stranger who doesn't deal with this or maybe is not even connected to this issue is praying and loving yes. me is really powerful. It's like incredibly uplifting and encouraging and how much more so a brother that you're near and, and knows yes. you personally to just say, I'm, I'm committed to you 
no matter what, because I love you. And because we're in this together, we're family. Yep. You're my brother. We're bonded by the blood of Jesus. And that's, uh, that's what's going to right. keep us together and whatever happens, whatever yep. you're dealing with. Absolutely. Well, I'm kind of thinking of um, the person that might be watching this podcast, listening to us, who who maybe they haven't uh, gone into a same-sex relationship, mm-hmm. maybe, or even had a sexual experience uh, mm-hmm. like that, or or maybe they've been dabbling in porn or masturbation or these kinds of things, but, um, or maybe they, they have, you know, stepped into something sexual as somebody, but what would you want to say to them in terms of um, in terms of how they view themselves, hmm. um, what what Jesus might have for them in their own life, how to how to how to kind of navigate from where they are back to a place of of um, wholeness or or maybe a finding wholeness, maybe. Wow, <laughs> I know it's a, <laughs> that's big a really, question. That's a really good question. I'm very good at this. Um, and there's so much I'd want to say. How do I how do I condense it and get my thoughts around it? Um, I think one of one of the primary things and one of the most helpful things is understanding that you are you are not what you struggle with. Yeah. That your struggle does not define you. And I'm it's gonna, not your identity. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Um, and we know where identity comes from. I'm a child mm-hmm. of God. Okay. Well, what does that mean? And really yeah. kind of trying to work that out. But I can tell you what it doesn't mean, and it doesn't mean what you struggle with yes, um, or your sexuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, and I'm going to tip my cards here on this, uh, in, in the world of LGBTQ, Christian politics, whatever that may be, I, I'm not a huge fan of people identifying as gay right. Christian no, or queer Christian. Um, and I understand a big part of their argument is they want people to understand their experiences. Sure. This is a true part of my experience and of who I am. Understand. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, 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 yeah, we understand it yep. more than just about anybody. Um, but to kind of label yourself that, to adopt that as yes. saying, this is so core to who I am at my very being that this is how I identify myself on equal with my relationship to Christ. Right. Feel, I think, is is really un, unhealthy and mm-hmm. unsafe. And it has a, 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 not a clear view of who God has asked us to be and who God tells us who we are, who right. we actually are. Right. And it starts with, I'm I am a child of the King. I'm forgiven. I'm loved by Christ. Um, and, and that is where we start. And then yes. everything else can build onto that. Um, and sexuality can be tough because it is so ingrained in us as human beings. It, it It's not something that we can change easily right. there's no switch um, there's no switch and uh you know it, people have tied just sex and personhood together way too much over yes. the years and uh to kind of get in there and divorce that and say like look you are so much more than you, your sexuality yes uh that i think that is a really key place to start or whether it's sexuality in particular or again any of these other issues yeah. i am not what I struggle with was, I think, a key point for me to kind of start to wrap my mind around, okay, if I can kind of divorce who I am from the struggle and realize that it is something I struggle with and not who I am, yes, it becomes a more manageable thing to tackle. Yeah. And instead of being this in, insurmountable object in my life because it's who I am, right. it is now something that I struggle with, which is something that I can't, I can tackle. Mm-hmm. that I can find ways to deal with. Yes. Uh, and so maybe that is an encouragement I would say is was one of the most important things, at least for me. Absolutely. And I think 
be good. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would agree with that too. I mean, very, very much so. And just the and and of course, neither one of us, um, I've just gotten to know you, but I, yeah. I know this is true of you that neither one of us would minimize the struggle. Neither one of us no. would, if anything, I, we're always talking about the fact that within the church, frankly, I, I'm saying all the time to churches, look. The most Christians are living double lives. The vast majority of Christians, and I'm talking yeah. about maybe a tiny percentage who aren't because they've done the work to break free of, mm -hmm. of the idol of the good false self, the idol of uh, all this image management, mm -hmm. putting our best foot forward all the time. But but most Christians are not, really not fully known by anyone. Mm -hmm. and, and now their husband or wife might know them or their children, but so often they know them by virtue of crap leaking out, not by them yeah. being intentionally vulnerable right? right and and so i think that um the the reality is is that we we need to learn how to separate the things that we wrestle with from our identity just as you're saying but then we also need to learn how to be honest and vulnerable about the very things we do wrestle with so that and struggle with our sin bents whatever so that we can really receive the help of community that god has brought around us right so, and again, that idea of going first. So it is a gift to offer others to yeah. pave the way for them to be able to open up as well. So totally. Yeah. That was that was one of the gen the big genesis of me being open and vulnerable in a church small group was other people talking about their problems that were so different from mine. Right. Um you know, married couples that had never struggled um in the sexual realm or in this particular way, but were telling me things about their life that were so close and vulnerable. And that was huge in me being able, again, yes. to open up and find healing yep. through a group like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really good. Well, listen, um, thank you so much for joining yeah. us for this podcast. It's really been great to get to know you uh, better. And Same. thank you so much also for joining us for this uh, podcast, for hearing Cole's story and, and listening to our engagement kind of around some of that. So whether you're tuning in for Love and Truth Network or for Transforming Congregations, we're just grateful that you're here and we look forward to seeing you in a future podcast for Love and Truth Network. Thank you so much for joining us for this Love and Truth Network podcast. To listen to or watch future episodes, please check us out at loveandtruthnetwork.com forward slash podcast. Also, you can subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And we look forward to seeing you in a future episode.